Ring around the rosy, a pocket full of posies. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. <laughs> Welcome to the Parasite Podcast. I'm Sherry. And I'm Marie. And today we're sharing part two of Oops, He Did It Again. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one of this episode, go listen to it right now. We'll wait for you right here. Part one covers the disappearance of Richard Kennanen, a cantankerous, abusive man who no one seemed to like. Then, 15 years later, on the anniversary of his disappearance, his wife, Marilyn, disappeared too. Their now adult children are beside themselves at her disappearance, and the police are confused. They can't understand why three adults are completely freaked out and telling a story that's impossible to believe. We left you at Marilyn's house on the night of her disappearance. Marilyn's 47-year-old son, Rick, was pacing the house, bellowing, The monster is back. The monster is back. While Stacy, age 37, was rocking back and forth and wringing her hands silently. The only person coherent enough to help the police with their report was Marilyn's 39-year-old daughter, Cheryl. Although she was calmer, Cheryl was clearly shaken and worried that her father, who had been missing for 15 years, had returned to kidnap her mother. As you said, the investigators knew it would be a waste of time to try and delve into the psychology of this family, so instead, they got busy working on the case. Step one was to locate Richard Cannon and Sr. and find out what the heck he'd been up to. To their surprise, Richard did indeed seem to have completely disappeared off the face of the earth when he walked away from his family on September 15, 1988. And walked away is in air quotes because I think we all know what happened. Mm-hmm. But what was really odd to the police was that nobody, I mean nobody, really cared about finding him once he'd gone missing. As a matter of fact, the police couldn't find anyone who particularly liked this guy in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of people who could go missing for 15 years and nobody would report it to the police. Yes, I think everyone felt they were better off with him gone, which is a very, very sad commentary on his life. It is. Rick also got busy the day his mother came up missing. Access to and liquidation of his mother's assets seemed to be his paramount focus. Rick got busy emptying the house out in the morning before his mother was even reported missing. Neighbors reported he had come to the house that morning and removed several plastic bags full of items that belonged to his mother. Stacy said she was aware he was doing this but believed it was because the IRS was going to take the home as Marilyn had been caught defrauding the Social Security Administration. So when did the IRS contact the family? Well, this brings up the third story Rick was using. We talked about the other two stories that Rick was operating from in Episode 1. But here's a quick reminder. Rick's first story is that Marilyn had to die because she was going to spend Grandpa's money to get custody of Cheryl's son, Chris. His second story is that his mother had to die because he was angry at her for not adequately protecting him from his father when he was a child. You can learn the details of these claims in Part 1 of this episode. In this third story, 
Rick claims the IRS is going to take the home, and he went so far as to claim Marilyn had simply gone into hiding to avoid prosecution. In truth, the IRS did not contact the family. The IRS was not aware of what was going on and did not know anything about the defrauding of the Social Security Administration because Social Security hadn't figured it out yet. Okay, that makes sense. But Rick at some point convinced Cheryl that their mother had actually fled town. She was hiding from the IRS because they were coming for her. They were mad at her because of those stolen disability checks that had never been reported as income, and they wanted back taxes. In fact, they were going to confiscate the house and all of its belongings. This is his third story. This is how he explained his actions of cleaning out his mother's house while she was still missing. Stacy was also going along with this. She claims she didn't know her mother was dead. She thought she was hiding from the IRS. The police had already checked with the Social Security Administration. They weren't even investigating the Social Security fraud at this point. They had no idea it was happening, but Rick had calendars where he had meetings scheduled with the IRS and with the Social Security Administration. He had notes that he would look through when he was talking to at least Cheryl, Mm -hmm. saying this is what the people at the IRS are telling me. Okay, so that he was working very hard to be convincing. Yes, he was working really hard to be convincing. And Rick and Stacy were efficiently staging a garage sale in the first weeks after Marilyn disappeared. They sold off most of their mother's collectibles. She mostly had Disney paraphernalia and statues of eagles, and they also sold some of her more expensive belongings. Cheryl was unaware that her siblings were selling off her mother's belongings, and she became unglued when she realized what had happened. I think anyone would, one week after mom disappears and they're acting like she's dead. Right, and that's why it's really hard to say that Stacy didn't know what was happening. Mm -hmm. It's certainly suspicious that she was participating in this. It is. Well, Cheryl called Stacy and confronted her, and Stacy said her mother's collectibles were safely tucked away in storage. However, those collectibles were never found to be in storage, and they were never produced by Rick, they were never produced by Stacy, and they were never seen again. And Detective Hussey, who worked the case, said he actually visited that garage sale on his day off, and he noted all of the Disney collectibles that had been there for sale. Rick and Stacy worked hard to convince Cheryl that their mother's valuable items were in storage and they were only selling off the extra stuff that was less valuable. But Cheryl knew better. They had sold everything. Rick also decided to become his father. On September 13th, he changed his driver's license, dropping the junior in his name. This was back in the day when your driver's license could bear any name you chose to put on it. Rick also changed his address to reflect his mother's address, which was his dad's old address. He knew that his mother had never taken his father off of the old accounts, so becoming his father, he could access the accounts without any challenges. Ah. He bragged about this to a neighbor and told the neighbor how this would allow him access to his mother's bank accounts. 
and he was correct, that worked. Additionally, he located that bank account that his grandfather had left for his mother with grandfather's money in it. Uh, well, he opened an online account shortly after her death and that's when he started writing all of those checks to Emerald Electric, which is the business that he had asked Cheryl's husband to help him set up for his handyman company. Mm. He also wrote them out to Green Acres, which was the landscaping company that he was trying to establish. He also wrote out checks to Stacy and himself. For a second, I thought he was trying to be smart and do kind of shell corporation things. Ah, no, he was just laundering money. Money would go to Stacy from the company, even though no business had ever occurred. Oh, okay, so he did think he was being pretty clever, didn't he? He thought he was extremely clever. Well, Stacy and Rick both bought themselves new trucks using Marilyn's account. Cheryl was not offered any of this money. Stacy and Rick ended up with checks that they said came from their mother for Christmas. Cheryl did not receive a Christmas check. Stacy's check for the truck was not paid directly to her like Rick's was. It was funneled through Green Acres. He gave Susan money to pay off her car loan, telling her he'd won a Fantasy Five, and the money was proceeds from that win. Stacy says that's where she believed all of this money was coming from, but Richard claims she knew the truth all along that she was in on it from the start. Well, it's certainly suspicious that she's benefiting financially, but Cheryl isn't. But in her defense, the check didn't come from her mother's bank account. It came from her brother's business account. So maybe she didn't know that that money for her truck was from her mom's account, or maybe she had just conveniently set up plausible deniability. And I mean, in this case, it's she got the money, but she can always say she didn't know where it came from, whether she did or not, because a smart criminal would have had her brother pay her through his business account so she could say, well, I didn't know where it came from. But maybe I'm being too cynical. Maybe she really didn't know where it came from. Exactly. I don't think we'll ever really know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Rick wasn't very discreet. He talked to neighbors and friends, but talking to Cheryl's young son was his undoing. He loved to try to impress this boy, and now he bragged to this 12-year-old boy that he'd murdered his own dad because he was abusive, explaining that that is how he kind of started this superhero thing where he saves abused kids from bad parents, and that he'd murdered his mom, too. He told him that he was mad at her for failing to protect him all those years, and, as you and I know, his mom was in on the murder of his dad with him. The stories upset this young boy, and he took these tales home to his mother. Cheryl was a good mom. She went to the police, and this was the break in the case that they needed. Poor Cheryl. Can you imagine the amount of therapy that little boy needed after this? No, I can't. I think that both Rick and Stacy were completely unfair to this boy, and it kind of sounds like they wanted him as their own. They're a little overly fond of him, and very vested in pulling him away from his own mother. Yeah, it sounds like they had serious problems with boundaries. Yes. Well, Rick was also telling people different stories regarding why his mother had left and where she might be. And this created suspicion on many fronts. It seemed to be a lot like that time when this dad disappeared.
Cheryl was staying fairly quiet, and she simply took note of everything that was going on, and she started working with the police to establish Rick as a suspect in his mother's disappearance. Cheryl didn't trust Rick or Stacy. She began triangulating any information they gave her. Cheryl seemed to be the only person who wanted her mother back safe and sound, and Rick kept encouraging her to move on and forget about their mother, and there was no way she was going to let that happen. That's such a horrible thing to say to someone who thinks their mother is missing. Exactly, especially if you're the one who murdered her. Well, yeah, but like, wouldn't you be suspicious of someone who said, oh, it's time to move on when mom's been gone two weeks? She's been gone for eight days. It's time. Yeah, and that's not a time that most people would move on. Not at all. Well, in a few short weeks, Rick had become king of the hill as far as he was concerned. He appeared to be the official owner of his mother's house with a simple name change. He'd cleared it out, and he was the only one with working keys. He may have been living there off and on, or at least he was determined to make this house his home at some point. He had access to his mother's banking accounts because he was masquerading as his father. The investigators had discovered a banking account that was actually traced to Stacy and Rick's house. It showed that someone in that home had funneled money from Barbara's accounts to the tune of $60,000. See, Stacy and Rick living together also makes it really fuzzy and unclear. If they'd been living in separate houses, it would be much clearer whether Stacy knew what was going on or not. Right, and that's exactly what the investigators thought. They wanted to know for certain who had taken that money and who was moving it around. So they froze that secret baking account, and they waited for the culprit to step up. The response was almost instantaneous. That very afternoon, a woman called the bank identifying herself as Marilyn Cannonan. Rick confirmed at trial that the caller was actually Stacy. The bank captured the phone number that the call came in on. It was Rick's number. The investigator called him back and claimed to be from the bank. Rick told the bank his mother needed the account reopened so she could pay her bills. The investigator insisted on talking to Marilyn in order to unfreeze the account. Rick said okay, she'd give him a call later and hung up. But no one ever called the investigators back. If it was just Stacy on the phone, don't you think it's weird that they never called back? I think it's really odd, and I don't know if Stacy got cold feet, or if they knew that their game was up, Mm -hmm. or what. But I kind of get the feeling that they knew that this was the investigator and not the bank. I'm not sure how they were tipped off. That makes sense. In December, three months after Marilyn's disappearance, so remember this has been only three months, a concerned neighbor called to report that the kids were laying Chattahoochee stone over the cement in Marilyn's garage. What is a Chattahoochee stone? That's a good question. Chattahoochee stone is like a finely crushed stone that's mixed with epoxy and laid over a surface like a deck or a garage Mm -hmm. to cover up the cement and create a solid surface that doesn't look like concrete. Oh, so kind of like painting, but it's stone. Kind of, yeah. Okay. So the police felt they were ready to make their move. So the investigators contacted Rick and asked him to collect Stacy and come into the precinct for a visit. They complied a few days later on December 22nd, 2003. 
Separating them as soon as they arrived, the investigators informed Rick that they were aware that there was no ongoing investigation with the Social Security Administration. They told him they knew he had been emptying his mother's bank accounts and they knew that he was concealing something under that Chattahoochee stone that was now in his mother's garage. In response to this accusation, Rick pulled a rental receipt from 1989 out of his wallet. It was for a concrete saw. He claimed that Marilyn had actually rented the concrete saw to conceal his father under the garage floor. Now they knew where his father was. That's true. That's a huge break in the case. But I'm stuck on the fact that he saved a rental receipt for a concrete saw from 1989. And it was in his wallet. Kind of theatrical, right? Yeah, that's very strange. Yes. Well, in the other interrogation room, things got intense as they grilled Stacy. She insisted she didn't know anything. She became upset and said she was afraid that Rick may have had something to do with her mother. But she maintained she had no information for them. Eventually, the investigators put the two of them in the same room for a bit. They didn't know they were being filmed in the interrogation room. And Richard said, it's all over. And Stacy said, they know I called the bank. Okay, so she knew that they were taking money from their mom's account in a fraudulent manner. Obviously. Well, there goes her plausible deniability. Yes, they, she blew that because she didn't know she was being recorded. Well, during this time, Rick says that they acknowledged that the police knew what they had done, and together they decided to commit suicide. Suicide seems like a big leap. I think so, too. It's very odd that they went from let's conceal this to let's kill ourselves like that. Yeah. And I mean, maybe Rick wasn't leaving anyone behind, but what about Susan? I don't think Stacy thought that through very well. Um, Stacy actually did think about it. We'll read her suicide note to Susan in just a minute, and you'll see what she says. Okay. Shortly thereafter, they were told they were free to go. So they climbed into Stacy's truck. They drove by Marilyn's house. Then they hit Walmart to get NyQuil for Stacy because she can't swallow pills. Then they got sleeping pills for Rick because he can. And they bought a flex hose to hasten their deaths. The next stop was their storage unit where they proceeded to commit suicide. According to Stacy, she and Rick had had a long talk on the way home. He told her about their mother's body being in her backyard and her blood ran cold. She didn't know that. She says that he warned her that Susan might be implicated in this mess. And she began to worry that she and Susan might both be going to prison for this. So when Rick suggested they commit suicide together, she just agreed. How did she miss someone putting a body in her backyard? In court, they were making a big deal about the fact that Stacy worked a lot during the weekends. I think they were trying to imply that Rick went to work burying Marilyn's body as soon as Stacy went off to work at Disney. Okay, that makes more sense. Right. 
he could do it while she wasn't home because he was largely unemployed and she had to be at Disneyland. But that seems like a pretty big job for one person to dig the hole, go and get the body, cover up the hole, and leave not one speck of evidence. I mean, maybe... I can see it happening where, like, you say, oh, look, I built you a raised garden bed, and it's actually a grave. Right, but that wasn't the case here. The rocks were removed, the hole was dug, the body was placed in the hole, the dirt was replaced, a metal plate was put over everything, the rocks were replaced back onto the hole. Hmm. I mean, I know he has a landscape company, but that does seem like a lot of work for one person when you've got to get it done by the end of your sister shift. Right, and he was a 400-pound person. He was not in good shape at all. Yeah, that seems like something that would be hard for him to do on his own quickly. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure I believe that she had no idea. And that was Rick's point, that this was something he could not have done on his own. But while waiting for the carbon monoxide to take their lives, along with the sleeping pills, some alcohol, and the NyQuil, Rick and Stacy commenced to letter writing. Rick wrote a suicide note to his estranged wife and then a separate one to Cheryl, wherein he admitted to participating in the murder of his father. According to the Orlando Sentinel, Rick's suicide note suggested that his mother had to die so Rick could get hold of the $260,000 Marilyn's father had left in his estate when he died in 2002. Stacy piggybacked her suicide note to Cheryl onto the bottom of Rick's. Rick's letter said, Cheryl, I have always loved you. I am sorry for this. Please get help for you and the kids and your husband. There is nothing I can say. She was going to use Grandpa's money. Love, Richard. That's a little cold. And again, here's that grandpa's money theme. Rick really felt that money was for him. Yeah, that's just very strange and not very um, comforting. At all. You can tell it's trying to be comforting, though. Right, you're right. And Stacy's note was very much the same. It said, Cheryl, I love you and the kids with all my heart. Please believe me when I say we couldn't let Mother take the kids away from you. I have always loved you and the kids. Stacy. Okay. Again, cold, but obviously trying to be comforting. Right. So I looked at it and kind of compared it to her note to her life partner, Susan. This note was a little bit odd, too. It said, Susan, I love you with all my heart. You are very precious to me. Please know that I did this because of everything in my life. I want you to have a chance at a future, and me being with you will not allow that. Please know that when I called you about the cops, that Rick and I knew it was over for us. We had a part in Mother's leaving. Please let the police do whatever they must at the house. I have sold off my Disney stocks to have a check sent to the house. They would only send it in my name. Maybe you can deposit it. It will give you an extra $1,500 to live on. The next mortgage payment's due in March. Please give the bag of sweatshirts in the car back to Angela. They were hers when we were camping. Please make sure I am cremated and that you have no service for me. I am certain because of the events that the Brackens, which is Cheryl's family, will not want to see you for Christmas. I love you, Stacy. Okay, so that's also kind of cold. Um, It's nice that she says I love you and I did this so you can have a life, which you can't have if I stay around. Um, 
And then she's got some very practical advice at the end. I've tried to send some money. Don't forget the mortgage payment. And send the sweatshirts to Angela. Yeah, whoever Angela is, I hope she got her sweatshirts. So I think that Stacy might just not have a lot of emotion. Yeah, she might not just be able to express warmth very well. Right. I think it's interesting that she said, I don't think the Brackens will want to see you for Christmas. <laughs> I did too. I thought that was really odd. Of course they wouldn't want to see her. Yeah. Um, and then also she said mom's leaving. Right. Stacy later claimed she couldn't bring herself to say the word dying. So she said leaving instead. Oh, okay. I wondered if at this point she wasn't sure if mom was dead or out of town or what that meant. Right. Okay. So anyway, at her trial, Stacy claimed she was innocent, that she had taken no part whatsoever in murdering her mother despite her sketchy activities after the fact. When asked on Find My Murderer why she'd run off to commit suicide with her brother if she was actually innocent, Stacy claims she isn't sure. She thinks she's just used to doing what she's told by the authority figures when she's in a panic situation. I guess that's possible, but she did a lot of different things at different times that make it seem like whether she knew mom was going to be murdered before she was murdered or not, when she found out that mom was not coming back and murdered, she went along with Rick pretty easily. She absolutely did. And there is no way she did not know her mother was dead. Regardless of whether she helped in the murder or not, she definitely knew her mother was dead based on her activities. Yeah, and Cheryl grew up in the same home, but when she found out that Rick at least claimed he'd killed mother, she went right to the police. Like I said, she's kind of the cute girl in the Munsters. She's the odd man out in this family. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, back to the story. The police had told them they were free to go back at the precinct, but they had actually put a tracker on Stacy's truck. Smart. Right, and they had someone tailing them, but the tail lost them somewhere near the storage units. They had a couple of storage units, and the police weren't aware of that, so the tail had run ahead to the storage unit. <laughs> Not knowing there was a second storage unit. Right, and they went to the second storage unit. So the hunt was on. Thanks to the tailing investigators, Rick and Stacy were found and pulled from the storage unit before they died. The much heavier Rick fared better than Stacy, predictably. Stacy was taken to the hospital because she had almost died, and Rick was taken to inpatient care for suicidal ideations. Now remember, Rick implicated himself in the murder of his father with the rental receipt for the concrete cutter. After his arrest, Rick decided the jig was up. So he confessed that his mother was murdered, too. He tells them his father is buried under the garage floor and his mother is buried in Stacy's backyard under the New Rock border. The investigators immediately got warrants for both homes and, indeed, they find Richard buried under the concrete in Marilyn's garage and Marilyn buried under the rock border in Stacy's backyard. When they return to Rick's interrogation, he tells them his mother called him and begged him for help back in 1988. He headed to her home to find her harboring his father's body. He claims he never asked his mom what had happened, nor why she'd killed him. He simply helped her bundle him up and put him in the deep freeze that she kept in her garage. 
Rick claims that sometime later, Stacy confessed to him that she had snuck into her father's room while he was sleeping and shot him in the back of his head. The autopsy confirmed Richard had been shot once in the back of the head, and that had been the cause of his death. To this day, Stacy denies the verity of Rick's story. She insists she did not kill her father and had no idea regarding her father's fate until after Rick's arrest for the murder of their mother. Rick and his mother had planned and orchestrated that murder and the hiding of it in its aftermath, but it is fairly clear that at some point Stacy knew about it. Yeah, it sounds like everyone kind of acknowledged that he was probably dead and nobody was really worried about how that had happened. Right. But Stacy wasn't surprised by the Social Security Administration information. Stacy knew what was going on in that household. The only one who didn't really know was Cheryl. Yeah, that's pretty clear. So what happens next? Well, Stacy had agreed to testify at her brother's trial, should he have one. It took four years to get his case to trial because Rick did a few things that were a little strange in prison. He started a hunger strike and he lost almost 200 pounds, which was half his body weight. And he acted like he was crazy or like he thought a crazy person would act. (laughs) His competency was called into question and he spent some time at the state hospital having his competency restored. He was returned to the jail and once again started to act crazier than even the first time. But this time they were on to him and his ruse didn't work. He testified that he heard his father's voice, not from inside his head, but outside of his head. And he said that medications did help, but he also admitted in his testimony at Stacy's trial that he was faking to try and get his competency called into question. That's really kind of clever of him to try, even though he doesn't succeed. Yeah, but unlike many murderers, he does admit, oh yeah, I was faking it. So I kind of, it's nice just for, I think, closure for everyone that he eventually did admit, yeah, I killed mom, yeah, I killed dad, no, I wasn't really crazy. Um, I saw that portion of his testimony And he kind of gives a little smile, like he's really proud that he thinks he's very clever. Can you talk a little bit about what competency means and why it would have to be restored and what it means for trial? Competency, basically, you don't have to be totally sane. You just have to be sane enough that you can understand what you're on trial for. And I think the term is assist your counsel in your defense. But basically, like you have to be able to talk to your lawyer and understand what they're saying to you. Competency isn't, were you crazy at the time that you killed them, like not guilty by reason of insanity? Mm -hmm. Competency is just, can you stand trial? Are you in a mental state where you are capable of doing the things necessary to be put on trial right now? Oh, okay, so if he's not competent, that doesn't mean that he won't at some point stand trial. No, usually they can get it restored to the point where you can at least stand trial. How do they do that? You'll spend time in the mental hospital. Sometimes they have mental counseling in prisons, but a lot of times you'll be sent to a mental hospital or at least the wing of the ho- of the prison that's the hospital, and then it's it's usually medication. Oh. You know, it's not going to be any kind of amazing therapy. It's usually just medication for whatever seems to be ailing you. So kind of shore you up so you can 
stand trial. Yeah. Okay. So they did that, and then he tried to do it again, and they were like, okay, we're pretty sure that this isn't actually a mental disorder. You just don't want to stand trial. Mm-hmm. But he kind of pushed it to the very limit, and on the evening right before his trial was supposed to start, he decided to accept a plea bargain. He had actually been offered 20 years before, but he ended up with 30 years because he waited too long and lost that plea offer. So plea offers have a time limit? It really just depends, and it's case-specific, but if they offer you a plea deal and you say no, that plea deal won't be resurrected when you change your mind. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so Rick was allowed to plead no contest in both murders, indicating that he was not contesting the fact that they had enough evidence to convict him and he was willing to accept the punishment for the crime, although he would not actually admit to the crime. Hmm. So he pled no contest to manslaughter in his dad's murder case, and then no contest to second-degree murder in his mom's murder, for which he was given 30 years combined. Okay, wait a minute. Why didn't they just take him to trial and get a first-degree murder conviction and be done with it? So there's a concept called prosecutorial discretion, and that means that the prosecutor who has all of the evidence can make decisions about what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. And that's because each case is different and difficult, and it costs the taxpayer a lot of money to prosecute a case, Um, And if they think that the case might be hard to win or they might lose, it's better to get them on second-degree murder than to get them on nothing. Okay, that makes sense. I am purely speculating, but it sounds like maybe this case was a little fuzzy about who actually murdered Mom. Dad's murder was a long time ago, and it sounds like Mom was the only person who could have been a witness, but she was dead. So a plea deal makes a lot of sense in this case, but as we've seen in other cases, plea deals are pretty common. That's true, but if he's sentenced to 30 years total, doesn't that mean he'll be out in a few years? No, because there's not parole in Florida. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't understand that entirely, but Florida is a unique place, and that was covered a lot at his trial. So if anyone's interested, you can listen to hours of trial and they spend a lot of time discussing this whole issue of no parole (laughs) okay but as soon as his sentencing was over he started spreading his version of what happened to their mother and that's when this kind of stacy wanted her dead theory emerged oh okay according to rick he and stacy had taken their mother to dinner at fazoli's and then the movies Um, The night that she died, just after work, they took her out for a nice night. And that whole night, Stacy had had a taser hidden in her pocket. But the weird thing about the taser is that it was purchased by Rick. So, again, maybe they were in on it together and Stacy was smart enough to have him buy the taser. But it's just a little strange that she would insist on having a taser, but he would be the one who purchased it. But isn't that a little odd, too, to think that a woman had a taser hidden in her pocket or even in the back of her jeans um because pockets are tiny on women's pants exactly that's what i was thinking yeah and this was a while ago tasers were pretty big at this time i don't think there was any way she could have hidden it but i guess stranger things have happened i don't know very true anyway then rick says that when they returned to their mother's home stacy snuck up behind her and tasered her oh and then, as their mom lay stunned on the living room floor, he Rick rushed over, rolled her over, and 
crushed his bandana against her nose and mouth to suffocate her. Mm. But then it gets weird again because then he says that after he was sure she was dead, he asked Stacy to go to the garage and get him duct tape. What? Yeah, so when she was when her body was found, Marilyn's arms and legs, as well as her mouth and nose, were duct taped. Um, oh, that's weird. It is really weird if to duct tape someone after you've killed them. I don't understand why they would have done that, and it's really not clear from his story why they did that. Mm-hmm. But Stacy vehemently denied her participation in the actual murder. Rick said that the after they got her duct taped, they put their mother's body into her own car in the trunk. Mm-hmm. And then Rick says that Stacy drove the car to one of their storage units, and he backed the car into the unit, and together they put their mother's body into the freezer that he had purchased in advance for this occasion under an assumed name. Oh, my. So he's pretty clear on the fact that he had planned this and bought several things for this plan. It's really interesting, and I can see why the jury is saying, wait a minute, if she did this, where is she in all of these purchases? It's strange, and it's... Usually if a murder takes two people, Mm -hmm. you can't tell the story without the person there. But in this case, you can tell the story without Stacy there. He tased his mom, duct-taped her, murdered her, put her in the trunk. He could do that, all of that alone. So I don't know. I mean, this, this... I've never heard of that before. That's an interesting theory. I think I kind of just made that theory up just from <laughs> looking at the murders. Most of the time when there's two people, it's really hard to remove one person from the story and have it still make sense. You're right. You're absolutely right. But anyway, so he, Rick says that then they left mom's car in the storage unit, got into his truck, and went home. And they'd taken her toll pass, that little e-pass box, oh, uh-huh. and destroyed it. Oh, because she was supposed to be going to Boston, right? That's right. But destroying it wouldn't delete any records that were already on it and wouldn't prevent investigators from noticing that she hadn't gone to Boston. True. That wasn't really a useful thing to do. But, you know, people who murder people aren't always the most clever. (laughs) So then he says that they went back to Mom's house the next day and packed some of her personal items and photos to try and make people think she'd left for the weekend. Oh, this is when he had cleared out her entire work clothes closet. Yeah, which again, I don't know. That seems like the kind of mistake a son would make, but a daughter wouldn't. Most daughters know kind of what clothes their mom would take on vacation. Mm -hmm. So that just seems like a strange mistake for a woman to make. But maybe she did. Maybe they just were not thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. It may be that Rick was actually there alone, because if you recall... The neighbors remembered seeing him there that morning, but they had not remembered seeing Stacy. Yeah, personally, and, and this is just my opinion, I think Rick must have been there alone and kind of just grabbed clothes and didn't think about what does a woman pack to go to see her family in Boston. And nobody has ever taken pictures out of frames to go on vacation. They already have pictures in their wallet, or they don't take them with them. I think in court they were saying that the pictures disappearing were supposed to support the theory that Richard had taken her. Oh, that so, would make more sense. So he's running down two roads at the same time. She either packed her clothes and ran off to Boston, she packed her clothes and ran off to Hyde, or Richard took her. Okay, that makes more sense. He can't choose a lane. He can't seem to choose a lane, and so none of these stories are cohesive. Right. But Stacy denies that any of this happened, and it's 
perfectly plausible that she wasn't there. In fact, probably, in my mind, more plausible. So then he said that he cleaned out his mother's entire home, mostly him, but he claimed Stacy was aware of this happening and was with him that first morning. Um, but as you said, the neighbors saw Rick but do not remember seeing Stacy at Marilyn's house that morning. He also admitted that he was the one who went back and chained the locks on the doors, and he did this to ensure that Cheryl did not get in before they were done clearing out the house. So this was specifically done to deceive Cheryl. That's horrible. Yeah, that's not being a very good brother. Not that murdering your parents is being a good brother either, but right. it's just another layer. Once it was discovered, we talked about the fact that Susan lived with both Stacy and Rick. You know, Stacy's wife, or maybe not wife, but domestic partner. But she was supposed to be going out of town. Oh, and she showed up that night when the police were there. Mm-hmm. So I guess Susan was not sure what she should do, but she was reassured that she should go out of town with her mother and that in the meantime they would find Marilyn and she should just go on this cruise. Okay. So once Susan was confirmed to be safely on the ocean liner, Rick said he and Stacy got to work. He claims that he and Stacy went to Stacy's house to dig the hole where they planned to bury their mother. Rick alleges that Stacy chose the location and together they removed the rocks and dug the five foot deep hole. Then after that hole was dug, they returned to the storage shed and Stacy helped Rick retrieve their mother's body from the freezer and hide it under mulch in the bed of Stacy's truck. Then Rick drove the truck to Stacy's, and together they put her in the grave and buried her. Now, remember, this is what Rick says happened, and Stacy denies it entirely. Uh-huh. So here's the thing. That would be hard for Rick to do without Stacy noticing, but he absolutely could have done that alone. I think it would have been hard for him to do in one shift, but you could dig the garden bed, leave it open, and then do move the body the next day. Only if Stacy's not aware of it, because that's Stacy's backyard. Yeah, but if I say, oh, I'm going to fix up this garden bed, I can leave the hole there for a day, and maybe she doesn't go, hmm, that's suspiciously the size of a body. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I can see the story working where Stacy is not there for the murder or for... Um, trying to pack stuff up so it looks like mom ran away. But at this point, Stacy, I think, had to at least be suspicious that something was going on in her backyard. Right. And maybe she didn't go to the storage unit and help move mom's body. Maybe she did. But I think it's really odd that she wouldn't have any inkling that it's really odd that Rick is acting funny, mom's disappeared, and all of a sudden he's digging holes in my backyard. Right, and I think that the suicide note to Susan kind of indicates that Stacy was not completely shocked to find her mother's body had been buried in her backyard. Yeah, I think at some point she became aware that mom was dead, even if she wasn't there for the murder. Okay. And I would say that point was before the police called them in. So by the time Susan got home, either way, there was nothing for her to see, right? That's right. So yeah, by the time Susan got back, It just looked like it was. Um, Maybe a little nicer, but, you know, it was just their backyard. And then a couple of weeks later, Rick moved his mom's car from the storage unit to a different location, and he was planning to dispose of it. So, based on Rick's testimony, the police got a warrant and headed to Stacy's new home, which was a nudist resort (laughs) owned by Susan's mother. Oh, my. 
Yeah, so she and Susan had moved there to work soon after Rick's arrest for the murders. And Stacy was arrested and charged in the murders of both of her parents despite her protestations. And she, to this day, maintains that she went to a movie with her mom and her brother and then she went right home that night. Hmm. Which again, could have worked. It still makes sense if she wasn't there that night. If she went home that night and Marilyn's absence was discovered by late the next evening, there's not a very large time frame there for any other story to have taken place. Other than we went to the movies, killed mom, took her to the storage room. Yeah, um, there's not a lot of time here. This all happens on a very tight timeline. And then the other thing is, if she wasn't there for the murder, she lived with Rick. She knew that he didn't come home with her, so she had to be suspicious and go, hmm, well, Mom disappeared. Rick was strangely absent. So one theory put forward by her defense attorney Mm -hmm. was that Rick did go home that night. They went to the movie. They both went home to Stacy's house. And then the next day, while Stacy was at work, Rick went and murdered Mom. So, so de- Rick came back to her house in the morning? Yeah. So Stacy's defense counsel relied heavily on the idea that Rick was able to do all of these things while Stacy was at work. And I don't know what the typical schedule of a Disneyland worker is, but unless she was pulling double shifts, he would be hard-pressed to get all of this done. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's possible. Maybe not the most likely, but I think it's certainly possible. Okay. So Stacy claimed that her mother had just disappeared um, from her perspective. Now this is after her arrest? Mm-hmm. Okay. And at first, she believed her mom had taken an out-of-town trip and just kind of not told anyone. But then later, she suspected her abusive father had come back for their mom. Now, wait a minute. She was rocking like a Harry Harlow monkey and wringing her hands the night that they noticed her mother was missing. Does that look like she was thinking she took an out-of-town trip? No, that doesn't make sense. If your brother was running around screaming that your abusive father was back, you might start to go into a panic attack. That's true. He might have triggered her. Yeah, I mean, her behavior that night was either good acting or a genuine trigger, which given their childhoods, I wouldn't be surprised if both girls were pretty pretty distraught and genuinely distressed by that. That's true. Or she may have been rocking because she was afraid they were going to get caught. There are so many reasons she could have been doing that. Yeah, that's the hard thing. You can see if someone's distressed, but there's no way to know why. True. But Stacy also mixes up her narratives and even uses the IRS wanting the house to excuse some of their actions, like selling all their mom's things. Mm -hmm. But Either way, she didn't seem to be really worried. She figured her mom was a missing person, and she'd turn up when she wanted to be found. Okay. When she was asked how she could continue believing this tale as she watched Rick take money from their mother's account, she said that she knew he would access their mom's account to pay the bills because they didn't know when she might come home, and they wanted to preserve her life for her as much as they could. Wait. They preserved her home by selling all of her things? Yeah, that's the problem. She leaves out the part where she knew that they were selling all of these things that her mom was attached to. There are a lot of contradictions here. There are. Her story doesn't make a lot of sense. There's also the question of the money that Rick gave her from her mother's account. She claimed that she had no idea the money was her mother's and really thought it was Rick's lottery winnings. And that he just wanted to help her out, which she appreciated. 
So, I mean, maybe it's a case of she chose to believe what she wanted to believe. But, again, it's pretty suspicious, and it seems like at some point she probably figured out that her mom had been murdered. That makes sense. But getting back to the court, the charges lodged against Stacy and the murder of her father were dropped for lack of evidence, which makes sense. There doesn't appear to be a shred of evidence other than her brother's statement that she at some point confessed to murdering her father, that she had anything to do with that death or knew about it until after her mother's death. True. But she actually did go to trial for the charges of murder in her mother's case. And this trial lasted several days and produced a lot of testimony, which we've used for a lot of this story. Right. Cheryl came and testified it against her, and Cheryl's husband and son also testified for the state at this trial. Rick testified against her at this trial, but his testimony was really convoluted and it moved along all of his prior tales of the monster returning, the IRS on his mother's hills, his mother trying to take custody of her young grandson, and everything else pretty much indicated his motivation was strongly based on this fear that Marilyn was spending her own inheritance, which he saw as his money for some reason. Uh Uh-huh. And all of the evidence in her murder pointed directly to Rick. He'd purchased the fridge they put her body in, or he put her body in, as the case may be. He purchased the taser, and Stacy's attorney made some really good points that Stacy was at work a lot, and he could have murdered her the morning after. We don't actually know when she was murdered. There's no way to say for sure that she was murdered this night they went to dinner in the movies. And there's nothing placing Stacy at the scene of the murder. That's very true. So I think the jury pretty reasonably had a hard time saying "Mm, there's no reasonable doubt. I think anybody would have a reasonable doubt. And they found her not guilty in the murder of her mother. And her friends in the courtroom burst into cheers and she burst into tears. I think whether she did it or not, or knew or not, she must have been extremely relieved. Yes. So, this case is really hard because there's no clarity or happy ending or really even a clean ending mm-hmm. so this family had endured unfathomable trauma while they were growing up and honestly I think are probably still trauma bonded Cheryl was lied to and treated horribly along the way but she didn't stop loving or trying to care for her siblings clear up to the trial. She visited them in jail. Her testimony was very moving and she testified to things that painted them in a good light in some ways, like the stories of her brother saving them from house fires. Right. You can tell that it's really just complicated. Stacy went back to Susan and her new job at the nudist colony and on that documentary, Find My Murderer, she spoke of her brother and said, I'll always remember that he was there when we all needed him. He was our protector. I don't hate him. I'll always love him, but I'll always have a fear of him, which I think sums it up. They had just had this very complicated relationship, but knowing that he's a double murderer would be scary. And that he set her up, if that's what truly happened. That would be very frightening. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So, unfortunately, Stacy and her sister Cheryl no longer speak. And I wish I could think of something clever to say here or a neat way to wrap it up, but it's honestly just all too tragic. So what happened to Rick? Rick is still serving his time in prison. I guess that's a sobering note to end on, but that's all for this case. So, what do you think, listeners? We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. And please feel free to join our discussions on Instagram at Parasite Podcast, Facebook at Parasite Podcast, Twitter at Parasite Podcast, or by writing to us privately by email at ParasitePodcast at Parasite.org. We'd like to thank our listener who encouraged us to cover this case that included a double murder. We suspect that you got a bit more than you anticipated here. Our episode on booty bumpers was also covered at the special request of a listener, and we encourage you to reach out if there are any cases that you want covered in particular. Thanks to both of these two people for reaching out with your suggestions. Well, this is a very special episode for us here at the Parasite Podcast because we have just surpassed 1,000 listeners. Yay! Thank you, everyone, for your support. And again, if you like our podcast, please subscribe to the Parasite Podcast and share it with your friends. We'd like to thank Jade Brown for our theme music and the Orlando Sentinel, Tampa Bay Times, Mike Schneider at the Associated Press, Court TV, PR Web, and Find My Murderer for a variety of information and photos that we used for this show. You can see the photos for this case at Parasite.org. Just click on the Parasite podcast once you get to the website. Bye for now. Bye. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down.